You're listening to a podcast from Catalyst Vineyard Church, Aberdeen. You can find out more about our church, as well as more talks on our website, catalyst.vin. Good morning, everyone. Thank you so much for joining us on Catalyst Live today. And it's Easter Sunday. We are celebrating with you this Easter Sunday. And Easter Sunday is an amazing chance for us to just look back and reflect, like, what has Jesus done for us personally? And what has he done for us as a church? And we were reflecting back on what has Jesus done this year across the life of our church. And we've been blown away afresh again by the amazing things that have been happening around our sites. We've seen people being healed really regularly, both physically healed and also experiencing deep inner healing. We've seen hundreds of people come to our Mainly Musics around our sites. Just this last weekend we saw thousands of people come to our Easter egg hunts uh, and experience just a little touch of the kingdom of community and fun and kindness and generosity. Uh, We serve hundreds of people every week out of our pantry van and our mobile pantries and the pantry trailer in Inverurie. And so there's just so much stuff that we can be thankful for this year that Jesus is doing. More people have come to know him this year. There's people being baptised around our sites this very day and there's even more people getting baptised in a few weeks time. We've got a few folk at Aberdeen North too and so Jesus is doing some really fun stuff and we just want to take a moment to celebrate this morning. Um, Today is Easter Sunday. It's a day where we celebrate Jesus being alive, no longer in the tomb, but alive. And we are carrying on in our series. We've called it Last Words because we're looking at what were the last words that Jesus said before he went back to be with the Father. And in this moment, we get some amazing last words. It's kind of first words as well. It's the first words that Jesus says to his disciples after his resurrection, but some of his last words and his time here on earth. And so we're going to focus in on those. It's John chapter 20. And we're going to read from verse 1 through to verse 23. We'll skip a wee bit in the middle just for time's sake. But the passage is entitled, The Empty Tomb. I'm just going to pray before we start. Jesus, we thank you for your word. It is good. It is fulfilling. It is our guide. It is our encouragement. And so today, as we open the pages of your Bible afresh, Lord, would we be freshly enthused and encouraged and challenged to run towards you. Amen. John chapter 20, verse 1. Early on the first day of the week, while it was still dark, Mary Magdalene went to the tomb and saw that the stone had been removed from the entrance. So she came running to Simon Peter and the other disciple, the one Jesus loved, and said, they've taken the Lord out of the tomb and we don't know where they've put him. So Peter and the other disciple started for the tomb. Both were running, but the other disciple outran Peter and reached the tomb first. He bent over and looked in at the strips of linen lying there, but did not go in. Then Simon Peter came along behind him and went straight into the tomb. He saw the the strips of linen lying there, as well as the cloth that had been wrapped around Jesus' head. The cloth was still lying in its place, separate from the linen. Finally, the other disciple who had reached the tomb first also went inside. He saw and believed. They still did not understand from scripture that Jesus had to rise from the dead. Then the disciples went back to where they were staying. And then from there, we're just going to skip on to verse 19. Jesus has a lovely, just powerful moment with Mary Magdalene. But then in verse 19, he appears to the disciples for the first time. 
says this, on the evening of that first day of the week, when the disciples were together with the doors locked in fear of the Jewish leaders, Jesus came and stood among them and said, peace be with you. After he'd said this, he showed them his hands and his side and the disciples were overjoyed when they saw the Lord. Again, Jesus said, peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, I am sending you. And with that, he breathed on them and said, receive the Holy Spirit. If you forgive anyone's sins, their sins are forgiven. If you do not forgive them, they are not forgiven. Amen. So Jesus is risen from the dead. It's the moment we've all been waiting for. The stone is rolled away and his body is not there. The disciples investigate. Mary investigates. He's not in the tomb. He is alive. And then he goes to the disciples and he has this moment with them and he speaks these three phrases, one after the other, that just are so important in understanding who he is and what he's done and what he's left for us to do as his followers. And so we're going to focus in on those three big sentences today. And the first sentence is this, and this one he says twice, peace be with you. The words he used here in Hebrew are shalom alechim, peace be with you or my peace I give to you. This was a pretty standard greeting for the time. And actually in the Middle East today, it's still a very commonplace greeting for people to greet each other in this way. But in this moment, it's not just a greeting. It's a promise of the kingdom. Peace be with you. Just think about the context for a second where he's speaking these words. The disciples are huddled in this room together. The doors are barred and closed. They are worried that the Jewish leaders are going to find them. Why? Because they are followers of Jesus. Jesus has just been killed. And so therefore they're putting two and two together and they're saying if somebody finds us, the likelihood is we are going to be killed. So they're hiding in this upper room. They've followed Jesus for three years. This is a really close friend. This is someone who they've been learning from. They've been hanging on his every word. They've been watching him as he's performed miracles and he's encouraged them to go and do the same. They've been doing every step of the journey with him for three years. And then suddenly he's violently taken from them, dragged away by a baying crowd, put on trial, humiliated, tortured and eventually murdered and hung upon a cross. That is the context where we find the disciples when Jesus walks into this room. They'd all ran and hid in the moments after his death. So there was a whole bunch of feelings in the room. They were probably feeling a bit guilty, a bit ashamed, really fearful of what was to come. And yet in comes Jesus. We don't know how he got in the room. It just says Jesus was in the room. We don't know if he appeared or whether he opened the doors or whether we don't know what he did, but he's suddenly there and he says, peace be with you. Peace be with you. Um, you might already know this or you might not, but when I was first uh, leaving school, I went to university to train to be a primary school teacher. That's what I'd settled on as my career uh, when I left school. And so I went and did teacher training and the first year of my teacher training was great. I had lots of fun at university. I made new friends. It was relatively straightforward and easy. And I remember them saying at the end of first year, like, you really have to up your game next year because it gets much more serious. It gets much harder. The placements are much trickier. And I was like, okay, yeah, yeah. We got there and I was 
not prepared for it at all. Almost from the word go, I was falling behind. I was just making deadlines. I can remember vividly sitting on the train on the way to my placement, creating worksheets for that day's classes. I was just struggling to keep up. My organisational skills were not what was required of a primary school teacher. And I remember the teacher on my placement pulling me aside and just saying, hey, I'm not sure teaching is for you. And I can remember my whole world <laughs> crashing in on that moment. This was something that I'd prepared for. I'd seen a life ahead of me as a teacher. And so um, I basically was referred through to the Dean of Education to have a conversation about what the future might look like for me. And I'd only recently become a Christian about six months prior to this. And so I just remember like getting beside my friends and being like, guys, would you pray for me? Like, I've got no idea what I'm going to do, but this feels like it's falling apart. And I remember sitting outside the Dean of Education's office, like sweaty palms and like just really worried, like anxious and fearful and panicky. And as I went into the office, we started to have a conversation and she was asking me like, what do you love in life? And what do you want to do? And it was the first time really where I'd sat down and thought like, what do I enjoy doing in life? And we had this big long conversation and the result of it was a couple of weeks later, I was offered a place doing sports coaching and community sports development. Uh, and what that meant for me was that I could carry all my credits over, my time in primary teaching wasn't wasted. It was like this moment when that bit of paper arrived through my door saying that I'd been accepted. Like I just experienced this peace like I've never experienced before. Like, oh my goodness, what I thought was my world falling apart has actually turned out to be okay and probably better than where it was before. The sweet thing was I then had these seven months between starting my new course and finishing up the primary teaching course I've been doing. And I was able to volunteer a couple of days a week with my church, with our young people and our youth uh, ministry. And actually that seven months was totally formational for me in my faith. I met Jesus in unbelievable ways. I learned how to communicate my faith. I met with the Holy Spirit. I saw him doing amazing things amongst young teenagers in Glasgow. It was a real formational time for me. And looking back on it now, I can see God's hand right in amongst it, him bringing peace where there was turmoil and chaos. The same thing happens for the disciples in this moment. They're experiencing tragedy. They'd lost their friend. Fear, they might lose their own lives and pain. And suddenly Jesus is in the room with them. And in that moment, all their hopes, their longing, their joy is completely restored to them. A risen Jesus, no longer dead in a tomb, but alive and with them. And the ramifications of that are huge. It means everything he said was true. And so they experience a peace in this moment that is like beyond anything they've ever experienced. A certainty, like a complete knowing that Jesus is king. Real peace, a gift of the kingdom. And I just wonder, like, has there ever been a time where real peace like that is more needed than in this moment in our world? We look around just now and global politics has gone haywire. Like, I, I don't even understand anymore. I get stressed opening the BBC News app, wondering what I will find each day when I look in it. There's questions about the sustainability of our planet. There's questions about uh, our financial system and how it can survive. There's conflict in Europe. This is a not peaceful time to be alive. And yet Jesus says, peace be with you. 
And it's not just a, a kind of concept, it's a reality to live in. You see, it's this multifaceted peace. What was the peace that Jesus brought? Well, firstly, he brought us peace and reconciliation with the Father. As he died on the cross, suddenly all of our sin and shame and guilt and terrible decision-making was nailed to the cross beside him. Where the enemy would look to hold us down in fear, suddenly Jesus had made a way to be completely with the Father, 100% restored walking towards him and him walking towards us. So there's a peace that came from that place. There was then a peace within ourselves as well, as Jesus uh, took away the power of death, as he in that moment robs the grave of its power, suddenly the enemy loses a bunch of his power within our lives too. And so the voices that would look to speak chaos and carnage and doubt and fear and pain into our lives are suddenly stingless. And Jesus' hope and joy replaces it. Another level of peace. And then there's peace between us as the body of Christ, as his bride to be. We experience the peace of knowing him together. Unity given because of what he did on the cross. It's this multifaceted, multi-layered peace that he brings to us, but that is like not a concept, but a reality to live in. Peace is available for us today, exactly where we are. Wherever you are watching this this morning, peace is available for you today. And so I guess a great question then to ask is, when we don't feel peace, how do we receive the peace that Jesus talks about? Like, how do we become a people of peace? A people who stand out in this crazy world picture of stress and craziness just now. How do we become those models of peace that Jesus has put within us? And I think there's a really great key to unlocking this in the book of 2 Peter chapter 1. Um, it says this, Simon Peter, a servant and apostle of Jesus Christ, to those who through the righteousness of our God and Saviour Jesus Christ have received a faith as precious as ours. And then this is the important bit. Grace and peace be yours in abundance through the knowledge of God and of Jesus our Lord. Grace and peace be yours in abundance. That's the promise. Through, this is the how, the knowledge of God and Jesus our Lord. As we grow in our relationship with Jesus, our understanding and how we live in that grace multiplies, our state of peace grows. As we invest in our relationship with him, there's like a multiplication of peace and grace that happens within us. It comes from knowing the Saviour. As a pastor, I've had the unbelievable privilege of sitting with people as they are passing away and going to be with Jesus. And I remember doing that for the first couple of times and thinking, this will probably feel like a horrible and terrible moment. And there's definitely grief and sadness that sits in that moment. But what also sits really parallel in those moments is an unbelievable sense of peace when I've had the privilege of sitting with somebody who's walked with Jesus for years of their lives, there's an assurance and a certainty about where they're going. And suddenly there's this peace that fills the room, peace that passes all understanding, peace that transcends that moment, the peace that only comes from knowing Jesus and knowing for sure where he's calling us. So if we want to know peace, we need to know Jesus. We have to press in. 
we have to set aside time and space like any other relationship, but more so than any other relationship to know him. Reading our Bibles, praying, pressing into the word, asking for his help, his, advi his advice, his wisdom, his love in every part of our lives. We invite him into all of who we are because he's desperate to be there. So Jesus is establishing peace within them. He's given them a solid place to stand in amongst the chaos of the previous few days. And it's like the peace is like a launch pad to go into because his next words are telling them where to go and they need somewhere solid to jump into that place. And so peace is like the solid place to stand on. And next he says these words, as the father has sent me, I am sending you. I mean, that is a pretty short sentence, but the ramifications of that sentence for the disciples are absolutely huge. This small group of followers and subsequently the followers who come to know Jesus through them completely revolutionize not just that region, not just that city, not just that country, but they explode the church across the whole face of the planet. You're sitting watching Catalyst Live this morning. You might be in your living room or on a bus or you might be watching it during the week and um, catching up. But wherever you're sitting, the only reason that we know who Jesus is today is because of the mission that was given to the early disciples and how they carried it out unbelievably well. Jesus' mission was to come to this world and to restore the world to the Father to die in our place, to take our sin, to take our shame, to take what should have been our punishment and take it as his own. And in doing so, he makes a way for us to come back to the Father through repentance and through grace. And now the, the disciples are left this mission as Jesus has been sent. So they are being sent into the world to tell the world of this incredible news that there's a savior who died for them. I can't really imagine what must have been going on for the disciples in this moment. They're reunited, reunited with Jesus. They're given peace. They're given this huge mission to bring the good news that they've just witnessed firsthand into the world. It's a bit of a roller coaster moment, but now they've been given something really clear to aim at. Um, I don't know if any of you have ever gone clay pigeon shooting before. It's a kind of classic stag do, hen do, weekend away activity. But I went clay pigeon shooting for the first time a few years ago. And I just thought that I'd be brilliant at it. I'd played Time Crisis uh, most of the way through my secondary school trips to bowling alleys and trips on a ferry to France. And I was pretty good at Time Crisis. Uh, for those of you who don't know what Time Crisis is, it's a video game where you kind of stand and shoot things on a screen. It was I, I just thought I'd be great because I was great at this game. And so Suddenly I'm clay pigeon shooting and I'm absolutely rubbish at it. I'm shooting and none of the targets are being hit. And I've done like four or five shots and nothing is happening. And the instructor came over to me and she just sort of said, came beside me and she was like, hey, can I give you a wee tip? And I was like, I would love a tip because I don't want to spend my whole day shooting absolutely nothing. And she was like, you don't aim at the actual clay disc. You aim where it's just about to be. You have to get in front of it. That was like a game changer for me. As soon as I knew that information, I was shooting clay pigeons or discs or skeets or whatever your term for them is, left, right and centre. I felt like, you know, the kind of hero cowboy in a Western movie, like as they're all flying over shooting them, that, that bit of advice totally changed the game for me. I had to look just ahead of where it was. Jesus 
has been giving peace to the disciples and now he's saying you need to have your eyes up and looking ahead to what is to come. You see, it would have been really easy for them to just keep their eyes fixed in that room they were locked in. If they'd stayed focused on their current circumstance, they may have never left the room. If they'd allowed themselves to settle in their fear and their worry, then the world would not have changed. But Jesus gives them a mission that requires them to lift their eyes ahead of where they are and look to what is to come. As the Father sent me, now I am sending you. Suddenly, this group of believers, this group of disciples have a clear purpose. They have to go. They have to go beyond the room. They have to go beyond their own selves. They have to go beyond their own comfort zones to see that everyone and anyone gets to hear and experience the good news and the power of the kingdom. And boy, do they step into that adventure. Almost instantly, they step out and they begin seeing hundreds and thousands of people coming to know Jesus as they speak his good news, as they pray for healing and see people healed, as they pray for power and they see people encounter his power. They see loads and loads and loads of people come to know Jesus. And then those people allow people to come to know Jesus and it starts to snowball from there. That mission hasn't changed from 2,023 years ago. Jesus is still calling us to be his good news bringers. He's called us to be bringers of peace, bringers of life, bringers of hope, bringers of joy, and bringers of a gospel message that rings of truth and that brings hope in amongst the chaos. There are five million reasons why the disciples could have stayed in that room, namely that they were afraid to leave because they may have been killed. However, they look up, they step into the call and they went into the world and the results were astonishing. And so for us today, I guess we have to ask the question, like, how am I fulfilling the mission that Jesus has given me to be sent into the world to see his kingdom come? I really believe that God wants to unlock some dreams this morning, dreams of where he is calling us to bring his good news to the world. At Aberdeen North, uh, where I'm the site pastor along with my wife, Sarah, we've just bought a building. And so we are really dreaming and scheming just now for a bunch of stuff. And I've had the amazing privilege of sitting down with people in our site over the last few months and hearing their dreams and seeing uh, how they could come alive in this new building. It's been a real catalyst for kingdom adventure conversations. And I guess we want to ask again, what part is God asking each of us to play? What people is he calling me to be good news to? What gifts or skills or resources has he put in my hands right now that could cause someone to encounter the kingdom of God because of what I'm able to do with it? Where do we need to say yes? And that may be a big thing, like starting a ministry or doing a new thing. It might be a little thing like saying yes to being part of an Easter egg hunt team. We were just out last weekend in Seton Park in Aberdeen for our Easter egg hunt. And two of our people uh, were standing at one of our egg hunt stations. And a guy came over and started a conversation. And he was like, what are you guys doing? And dressed as a cowgirl and something else, they had this conversation where they explained, hey, we're a church and we love this community. And so we're putting on this free Easter egg hunt so that everyone can experience a bit of joy and a bit of fun uh, and encounter community and this guy was just totally blown away by that he's like I've never seen this this is so needed 
and he got an invitation to church. Might not feel like a big thing, but saying yes to being a cow, cowgirl on an Easter egg hunt team suddenly created this moment for a kingdom conversation. And so where is God asking you to say yes today? The good news is this, though. We're not to do it in our own strength. We can't just muster it up ourselves and make it happen ourselves. Jesus' final instruction is the kind of piece of the puzzle that brings the power into the whole thing. And it's this. He says, he breathes on them and then said, receive the Holy Spirit. Jesus' final words in this short first interaction are like the the kind of climax of the gospel. As he breathes And he says, receive the Holy Spirit. He's saying, what I've promised you, what I promised you in the upper room, what I promised you at the Feast of Tabernacles, my very presence alive is now able to be within you. This is the moment they've been waiting for, the freshly risen Jesus and all his death conquering power breathing on them and saying, receive the Holy Spirit. And there's some contention over whether this is the moment they receive the Holy Spirit or whether that happens a couple of weeks later at Pentecost. But either way, the result is the same. For these disciples, they are radically transformed as they receive the Holy Spirit. They go from fearfully hiding in an upper room to boldly preaching the good news on the streets of the very place where they know that death is a very real option for them. That's quite a radical transformation, isn't it? This moment for them must have been expected and yet unexpected. They must have been excited for it, but yet fearful about it as well. What does the presence of God living within me actually look like? Well, for them, it was intimacy and an activation of all that Jesus had put within them. It was a total game changer. I wonder if anyone knows what this is. It's going to pop up on the screen just now. Uh, If you were uh, born in the late 80s, early 90s, you will more than likely have owned one of these. Uh, Pop into the chat if you owned one of these. Uh, I would love to hear uh, what your fun uh, stories around them are this morning. But this, for those of you who were not around at that time, is a personal uh, portable CD player. Now, this is what I used to listen to music on when I walked to school. I had one of these uh, around about the year 2000. What happened was, in a previous version of history, before iPhones and iPods and all of that kind of thing, you had to carry your music around with you. I had a portable CD player, and I also had a little tin with all my CDs in it. It was like a little music library I carried with me where I went, and you would have to put it in. And there was an art to using a mobile CD player as well, because if you just walked normally, you would bump the CD and it would skip, and you would never be able to listen to more than about five seconds of a song without it skipping. And so you almost had to like levitate as you walked, just keeping your feet sort of flowing over the ground so that you could listen properly. There was no playlists. There was no shuffling. There was no anything. You just listened to a CD from start to finish. Then in the early 2000s, something amazing happened. This was invented and a wee picture will pop up now. Maybe you had one of these, but this was a complete game changer for me. This is a second generation iPod mini in green. And this is the very one that I owned, a green iPod mini. When they first came out, they were like gold dust. You couldn't buy them anywhere. Hence why I had the green one and not the blue one. But I'm not bitter about it. I made my peace with it. I was happy with my green one. But what this meant was this was an MP3 player. 
and suddenly from only carrying around CDs in my pocket, I could have my whole music collection in my pocket on this one little device. It had up to a thousand songs on it and on there I could put playlists and I could sort it into different things and I could shuffle songs and it was just an absolute game changer. This moment between Jesus and the disciples is an absolute game changer. They go from knowing God through Jesus, their friendship with him and walking in proximity to him to being filled with the very presence of the living God. It's a game changing moment. Being within touching distance to being filled with his presence. We look at the fruit of what being filled with the Holy Spirit meant for these disciples. We see them cowering in a room. They're afraid. They're worried for their lives. They don't know what's coming next. They have no direction. They're just hoping to survive. And in the space of a couple of short weeks, with the Holy Spirit alive and at work within them, they are on the streets shouting the good news for anyone who will hear, praying for the sick and seeing people healed praying for anyone that moves close to them and we hear how hundreds and thousands of people give their lives to Jesus because of what they witness in the disciples. Huge, huge game-changing moment. If they were doing it all on their own, I don't think they would have ever made it out of the locked room. But filled with the Holy Spirit, they caused the global church to explode into life. So what does that mean for us this Easter? Well, one, I feel like really clearly we have to be filled with the Holy Spirit. Charles Spurgeon said this, Without the Spirit of God, we can do nothing. We are ships without wind. We are useless. Jesus' first words post-resurrection and some of his last words were, Receive the Holy Spirit. We can't take that lightly. We have to be uh, unstoppable in our search for God's presence and power in our lives. We have to long for his spirit to breathe within us, filling us with life, courage, a longing for intimacy with him and a longing to see the world around us transformed. In our own strength, we are almost completely useless. We can muster a little bit. We can muster a little bit of peace, a little bit of love, a little bit of joy, a little bit of encouragement. But it's so quickly superseded by the discouragement and frustration and anger that comes from our own uh, failures and moments where we're just fall so short of the expectations. But with the Holy Spirit alive and within us, there's nothing we can't do. There's wind in our sails. There's a direction to run in. And there's power to see the world transformed. Secondly, when we're filled with this Holy Spirit, nothing is impossible. This group of believers went on to radically change history. They took the good news as far and wide as they possibly could. And people, real people, who were just going about their lives, encountered the living Jesus and their words, their actions, and the power that was on display as they did what they were doing. They caught a glimpse of the kingdom and they had to know more. And as they got to know more, the people around them got to know more and the church exploded into life. His power alive and at work, his resurrection power alive and within us. Oswald Chambers, the famous Scottish evangelist, says this, when it's a question of God's almighty spirit, never say I can't. 
never say I can't. And so I guess a question for us today is like, where have we said I can't? <laughs> where have we said I can't do that? It's not possible. I don't know. I'm not sure. Maybe we've counted ourselves out because we don't feel good enough, strong enough, pure enough, powerful enough, whatever it might be. We all have our own things that cause us to step back. But the Lord this morning is saying, step into the adventure. Bring your whole self and watch what I can do. And so these three sentences give us a really clear sense of who we are and where we're going as followers of Jesus. He's done this amazing thing. He gave his life freely on the cross. He died as a sacrifice for our sin so that we could walk freely into relationship with the Father and freely into life to the full. That's what he's promised to us. The empty tomb means that the promises are fulfilled and that real resurrection life is available for us today. And so receive peace. Go into the world as Jesus went into the world and receive the Holy Spirit. Why don't we pray? Jesus, we are just so eternally grateful for what you did on the cross. The pain that you endured. The shame that you endured. All that you went through to make a way to the Father for us. We thank you for taking our sin and our shame and for taking all the consequence and punishment that was due to us because of it. We thank you that all we have to do is say yes to you, repent and come to you. And so we do that again now. Thank you, Jesus. I just had a sense this morning that the Lord might be speaking to a few people just really specifically. Uh, I felt like maybe this morning, like that word about changing our perspective about what God can and can't do maybe for us this morning. Maybe we've just limited them a little bit. And in doing that, we've kind of stepped out of the game and said, oh, I'm not sure if I'll pray for that person because what if, what if something doesn't happen? What if that situation doesn't change? What if I speak to them and it goes badly wrong? And I felt like this morning the Lord was saying, flip that question and say, but what if it doesn't? <laughs> and so if that's you and you just know you're kind of holding back because you've been like, I know I've limited you there, God. We just pray. You might want to just put your hands out just now and we just say, Lord, would you just bring a fresh um, revelation of expectation around who you are and what you can do? Almighty Father, King of Kings, And I also think for some of us this morning, just peace is just something that is eluding us right now. It's like the fear and the worry have just taken over. And you just need to hear Jesus' words afresh for you this morning that is, peace be with you. And again, maybe if that's you, if you just know peace is not something you can grab hold of right now, why don't you just pop your hands out and just say, Lord, I receive your peace today. Jesus, would you bring peace to anyone who is experiencing anxiety and stress and worry in this moment? 
Would you bring your peace in a real tangible way, a way that creates a solid ground to stand from, a way to launch into fresh adventures with you? Come, Holy Spirit, bring your peace. We thank you, Lord. Amen.